the mm. parents, they stay in the ocean realm. So mm. they always are, for instance, yeah. riding a fish in the yeah. ocean. Uh, they have what is called a shell phone. <laughs> and I actually, in the first panel, I'm uh, flying on this bird. So I think there there's a lot of bird slash eagle uh, symbolism in the yeah. United States. And so I saw myself leaving the water, which yeah. is Japan, the island, and going uh, into the sky or in this different realm. Yeah. And so as my parents uh, stay in the water, I then turn into that bird and I'm always uh, surrounded by air or bird imagery. Mm. Steven Wakabayashi, and you're listening to Yellow Glitter, mindfulness through the eyes and soul of queer Asian perspectives. This episode, we're joined by an extra special guest, Haruka Aoki. Haruka Aoki, she, they, is a queer Japanese artist, poet, and author illustrator of children's book based in Queens, New York City. Their narrative artwork, which has appeared in New York Times and the Washington Post, aims to inspire individuals with both wit and sincerity as their hand-drawn characters engage with the world around them. Growing up, often unsure of where home would be next, Haruka found and continues to find comfort in nature and community, a constant starting point in their work. By exploring the metaphysical realm in their artistic practice, they hope to provoke a sense of interconnectedness and provide an accessible space to provide and heal as a collective. Haruka received her BA from Brown University and her MS from Pratt Institute. She often feels deeply grateful to be an earthling <laughs> and loves to frequent the universe in her meditations. Welcome to Yellow Glitter. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on and really excited to have you. I haven't really seen Earthling in a long time, and I love it. It just puts it in perspective. There's so much around us. We have this beautiful galaxy. I think they just discovered, did you see the news report? They discovered more things behind our galaxy, but just like right behind it. And they were, yeah, because telescopes, right? You Mm -hmm. see directly in front of you, but you don't see exactly what's behind you. And so I was reading this article, I think I found it through Twitter this past mm-hmm. week of just discovering more behind the galaxy that we were looking at. Just it was sitting on the back side of it. I was so like, wonderful. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that, that happened. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of this one tarot card, which mm-hmm. I once pulled, where the jewels, the bag of jewels is behind the character. And the character is looking forward and looking a bit oh, sad, whoa. but there's a huge bag of jewels behind them. I that is like funny. That. Okay, so if I pulled that, what does that mean? 
I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was like, um, it was definitely a message of, hey, yes. you're kind of looking in the wrong place. What has been within you this whole time or behind you? Um, and actually, I when that card came up, I don't know yeah. too much about tarot, but when that mm. card came up for me, I remember resonating with it so much. And I thought, oh, those bag of jewels is, um, that's art for me. Um, mm. Art mm, has mm. been within me this whole time and I had been neglecting it. Oh, that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> that is deep. And why don't we just start there? We had chatted a little bit before to talk about topics. And just like you said, art was always behind you. I mm -hmm. think the one thing that came up during your talk, and I deeply resonated too, was about this change and transition in your life to maybe center this art within your life, departing from your corporate life <laughs> to mm -hmm. pursue this mm -hmm. other part of you. And I just want to ask for such a big change. And so many people are oftentimes looking to align that inner self with the outside self. What catalyzed that event? Hmm. Well, the first thing is um, the workplace initially really did not fit with me. And I knew that immediately, actually, like by the second day, I was like, uh-oh, what did I get myself into? And it was a high-paying job. And I thought, you know what, I, I need to give this a try. Um, and I kept on saying that until it literally hurt to be there every day. So I had waited just a bit too long, uh, tried to harmonize for a bit too much. And yeah, towards the end, I was working so, so hard and I was not really happy there. I could tell that my heart was kind of fading. And so, what actually, I think it's important to note that my job, uh, I had my role as an art director at a big company. And so from the outside, it looks like, oh, well, you still get to do artistic things and be creative. But for me, it was like, no, I just pull photos from Getty Images <laughs> oh. and um, just work within a world of pixels. Uh, and tire myself out. I really felt at one point that instead of being a human and having like literal blood flow through my body, I felt like I had pixels flooding through my body. It felt very unnatural. And so when the pandemic happened, initially, I think there was a slowdown and People who worked in offices like me were able to enjoy that. And then there was a huge rush of just work, 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 work. Uh, any time of a day, you are expected to be at your desk. And that was very hard for me. Um, so that's one thing, the workplace. 
And then on top of that, there was ding, 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 the abusive manager. So that was so hard. Um, I had always tried to work well with people. And when someone, uh, especially your own manager, supervisor, has some other agenda, <laughs> it's really difficult to match uh, their needs and expectations that change every single day. So I knew, okay, I need a break. I can't, I can't just keep on doing this for any more, any more days, any more months. So that is when I took that leave. <laughs> that was probably the best decision I had ever made. And of course, as someone who is a people pleaser and like harmonizer, I was very afraid to just quit. And so here I am like, like, oh, there's a, there's a leave of absence option. Okay, like, let me take that. And it was the perfect thing for me because I could uh, allow myself to take a break from work um, and also still get paid. That was important for me. And then on top of that, I got the support to do a whole therapy course. And that was fantastic. So in a way, I feel like I had joined this company in order to get those benefits at the end so I could truly, truly rest and understand how that feels. So I resonate tremendously with your decision to leave work too. It was definitely something that I had experienced in the workplace. And yeah. I saw that you were also at ad agencies. <laughs> it sometimes gets so toxic with just deadlines, meetings, client demands. And I often find that. And what's crazy too is we're doing creative work, right? Yeah. And yet we struggle so hard to center and give people the space to be creative. And it turns into this production heavy kind of mm. industrialized setting for the creative work. And at least for myself, where I really struggled was just this, this looming dread of, well, if I don't perform, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. fear and that fear ran so much of my life. And I'm just curious for you, was there something that kept you there in terms of whether it's a fear or whether it's a narrative? And I'm wondering, was the move and shift away really healing for you? I'm just having all of these emotions and past experiences circle around me as you speak about your experience. It was really, really tough. That transition from such a fast paced, as you say, industrialized process, churning out ideas and projects every single day at a fast pace, to then transitioning to uh, you can do whatever you want today, or 
you think of the projects you want to do. That was a really hard transition for me. Uh, I was so used to receiving projects, uh, getting assignments from other people, that when all of that was taken away, uh, I was actually initially shocked. Like, what, what do I do? So I think going in to that transition, I was so ready to heal. I was like, let this healing happen. And I'm just like opening my arms to, to glowing and glittering. And um, I was surprised when that healing didn't just magically happen. And it was something that I actually had to work through. Um, it is, I think, surprising when we have the time and energy and space to heal and to calm down. But then we realize, like I did, I don't know how to do that, actually. I have conditioned myself truly to work, work, work and produce, produce, produce that I forgot how to rest, heal. So when I took that five-month break from work, I learned to do that again, and I am still learning. It's an ongoing process. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it just seems that so much to our journey, it, it, I want to get back to your break a little bit on where you focus on mental health, but just to touch on what you said and respond to it, it just seems that the most important messages to hear in life are sometimes the most difficult. Mm. And yep. sometimes all we have to do is surrender to the experience. So true. So true. Yeah. Is that resonating with you? Oh, yes. <laughs> Surrendering is so hard when we have learned to control. And I think letting go of that control is, it feels uncomfortable even now as I think about it. And lately, I've been getting this one card in this deck that I use. Uh, it's an oracle deck that my friend made. I've been getting this character card that is the drunken sailor. So this character is topsy-turvy. There is some throw-up coming out of his mouth. They are kind of sideways, falling. And I have gotten that card so many times this month and I'm just like I, I have to release even more like I have been surrendering universe like what <laughs> what do you want me to give more of and yeah I I, I am definitely a to-do list person I like getting things done and I am a google calendar freak and so I just, I know that I work well that way. However, I am still learning to use these gifts and talents as 
as tools and not make them kind of overwhelm me. Yeah, for sure. And going back to your trip to better understand your mental health, I'm curious what came up for you during that time? Whether it's something you struggled really to accept it, be more aware of? It seems that it was very healing for that yes. break and that big chunk of time away from work. I'm just curious, what was coming up for you then? Mm. Well, I should say that this was a very group therapy, heavy course. And it was very much like going to school again. And so I had a schedule every day. And for the more intense weeks, I think I was doing about 20 hours of therapy a week. And that is a lot, uh, especially not having done any therapy before that being put into a course with 20 weeks or sorry, 20 hours of therapy a week and working on yourself was so shocking. But one of the most wonderful things in that course was that I got to meet other people around my age. So in their thirties and forties, dealing with very similar experiences that I had and also similar emotions. Even if those experiences were different, perhaps it's an issue with a parent or an issue with their identity, issues at work, whatever it was, being in that group atmosphere and a very loving, understanding atmosphere was especially healing. And I had truly never done that kind of therapy before. Um, I had only done life coaching. So I had received life coaching classes, so much about self-improvement. What do you want to do in life? How can you succeed? Which I think is wonderful, but I didn't know that I needed to reflect on the inside. And I think one of the things that came up in the workplace for me was that uh, that feeling of not being needed or uh, not being respected, taken care of. And I actually had a similar experience, those emotions, back when I was in college. So I, uh, I had unfortunately experienced some abuse then in college and it was untreated i hadn't asked for help then i really bottled things up and i had thought that um uh, oh you know what i i dealt with it that that's in the past we're done here ready to move on however i had left it truly untreated and so it those behaviors those feelings of uh, not feeling loved or the behaviors of disengaging, pretending that things are okay, all those things came back up this time in this toxic work environment. So I knew then, that was a, red, a big red flag for me, 
when those behaviors came up, I thought, oh, I did these, these same things when I was 18. They're coming back again. I need to look for help here. Uh, and I wanted, at that time, when I had just gone on break, I had no idea that I was going to quit right after my break. No, no, no reason to. I thought I'll just, you know, I'll be all good in five months and ready to go back a new person. So when I started, I thought, okay, let me use these five months. Let me explore uh, these behaviors that, that come up, these feelings that come up. And I had left untreated before, so let's let's do that. And that's why I uh, went on this mental health journey. One, I'm proud of you for stepping. I don't want the focus to be about the stepping away, but stepping into <laughs> your passion, mm. stepping into what you're really excited to do. And I want to go into a little bit about your Asian identity too. Um, mm -hmm. One, what is your cultural ethnic background? And then two, do you think that also had anything to do with navigating this balance of corporate life versus going after what your true passions are? A hundred and like 20%, <laughs> yeah. yes. So I'm Japanese and I lived in Japan until I was only three. And from then on, I went to Hong Kong and then to New York. So I think it was when I was seven, I came to New York and, oh yeah, definitely my Japanese background has a lot to do with how I see the workplace. Um, I really saw it as a goal since I was a kid. My father was a banker, Japanese salary man. So that 100% um, showed me, oh, wow, that's what stability looks like. And he also made it look very cool. He's a very fashionable guy, my dad. And so this was also during the 90s. So he had the Gordon Gecko style like suspenders and we got the Hermes colorful ties. And he just looked like, you know, what success really looked like. And I was really proud of him too. Uh, because he grew up very poor. And I think I understand now as an adult, oh, that's why he really wanted that stability. That was really important for him. And he was able to achieve that. And so I really had him as this role model figure. And even up until my mid-20s, my goal was to surpass my father I was like well dad you did that in your 30s I'm gonna do it in my 20s um as if it's some competition <laughs> and so I I was able to get that success early on and my partner is um so funny and loving and he's like well 
you know, you you won capitalism, honey, in your 20s. Like, you you got that six-figure job and, you know, you got that stability hella early. So I like his viewpoint, but <laughs> but I definitely was going for that as my goal. And having achieved that, I kind of waved that success in front of my dad, being like, look, dad, look, look, look. <laughs> And I was actually pretty surprised in terms of how uh, how he took that. Initially, he was like, this is great. I'm so proud of you. Uh, like, stability stamp of approval. But then, um, as he saw me working more on my art, he was like, oh, this is so great. Like, can I get a print of this? Like, can I pay you to... To do this, um, to to print this artwork out, and he was way more excited about that. And what's interesting is that he too is a wonderful artist. He is so talented, and he was, uh, like the president of the cultural committee or something in college, and really into. Uh, music, art, culture. And so I could see that, oh, I kind of ended ended up like him in terms of success in my 20s. But, oh, I also see this big gaping hole in my dad now that I didn't see before. And I thought, oh, I don't, I don't really want to end up like that. And yet I have um, this big opportunity to to create that that life that I really really want and explore uh, truly what I was meant to do on Earth, not what I should do or what other people are telling me that I should do. So, definitely, since I was a child, uh, I looked up to that successful worker <laughs> figure for sure so i think i think you going back to your story about your father i think it's it's almost it's it's beautiful and sad to see such a creative aspect within him after so many years and realizing that maybe that was a part of his identity that he also tampered down. And I also see the same thing in my mom of so many things that she's like really good at. But um, so she cuts hair for a living. She's a beautician. And especially as people who immigrate here in America. I did a lot of reading about Asian American history over the past year. And one thing that was really eye-opening to see was the history of Asians within America, especially for Asian American immigrants. And so much of their immigration had been tied to job, financial success, the ability to look good on paper, and 
what was the most eye-opening thing for me, at least in reading a lot of the history, was building compassion for a lot of these behaviors that were institutionalized, not as a culture just within our family, but as a culture within our larger immigrant diaspora, especially here within America. And, you know, I think the reckoning is <laughs> realizing that we had lost probably a ton of really exciting career potentials and so many things, all these other folks, especially Asians who immigrated to America could have done, but these systems forced so many people to have to be good on paper, be a doctor, be a lawyer. You know, they were some of the first people who were admitted right. into the country because there was a huge deficit in a lot of this talent. And mm. at least for myself, the longest time I, I struggled with the Asian culture and identity that pushed a lot of this to me. I was trying to be a doctor for the longest time. Damn. And oh, yes, really? yes, yes, yes. Mm. Um, and I was like, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I held a lot of resentment towards it after having quote unquote yeah. lost all these years. But I realized that it's all a part of, I think it's easy to think of it as a microcosm, but oftentimes there's a big macrocosm that's a part of institutionalized inequity, institutionalized culture, even. And yeah, at least this awareness has been bringing me a semblance of healing and awareness of how we can move forward. And how we can move forward is, I think, like your story and narrative of really chasing after what is that what is that passion of yours what is that thing that is calling you almost like a siren right like yes. it's just beckoning yeah. your call and it's it just to me it's this this force deep within that is so important to cherish yeah Truly, truly. And it's, it is sometimes hard to find mm -hmm. that. It really feels like a, a tiny pearl in a, in many, many layers of mud. Mm. And sometimes you doubt like, oh, is there even a pearl in here? Like, am I going to find it? Because I've been looking for so long. And so to just keep on reaching, keep on believing. And so when you actually hold or find that pearl and hold it in your hands, it's it's the best feeling. That must be hard, right? Going day in, day out. Sometimes it's finding, having to find multiple pearls. You know, you found that one. Yeah. Where's the next one? Yes. I I really love what you said, Stephen, because I think a lot of people talk about finding that one thing. And gosh, why does it have to be one? It could be 
80, it can be five, it could be whatever you want it to be. And I think that is so important. We live in such a binary uh, structured world. And as we can see, whenever we go outside in nature or have really spiritual or loving experiences, it's nev- it never feels structure or we never have to choose between good and bad, yes and no. It's so much rich complexity. And I would, I would love to bring more of that in to our daily lives. Yeah. And what keeps you going there? It's not easy. Is there anything mm-hmm. that keeps you going, coming back, showing up? Oh, yes. It's, it's the connection. The energy between two people mm-hmm. is amazing. It's so, so beautiful. Uh, sometimes when I create art, share it, and it's on a very public platform, I get these very magical emails. Mm. What are some of them said? Imagine them like, yes, yes. So I truly imagine them as like, uh, you know, sure, an email can just be an email. But to me, it is a letter. And a letter that is, it consists words words that were chosen by one person and filled with emotion and feeling. So to me, when I get those lovely emails from readers of my comics, viewers of my artworks, it is the best feeling. And the one that I remember the most is this wonderful library clerk who is a 79-year-old person. And he sent me this beautiful letter uh, after I had published this this illustrated poem in the New York Times about public libraries. And he wrote to me saying, oh, I love libraries too. In fact, I work in one. And he actually signed his name backwards so his name is uh, like Kevin, but he signed his name Nivek uh, because apparently that's like uh, a code that he shares with the kids that come to the library, that their true names are actually spelled backwards. So, <laughs> yeah, so I signed my, my email back to him, Akura, since that's backwards of Haruka. Yeah. And. Those, those moments are what I love when I'm able to make those connections with people that I don't even know, but we both are probably on the same page or, you know, kind of understanding each other on a very similar plane. And that is what keeps me going. Yeah, that must be. One sounds like a awesome librarian, <laughs> and yes. two, going into your work, you do talk about really deep stories. Uh, I was going through your website, gandering at all your different projects, 
And I'm curious if there's any project that stands out to you particularly, whether it spoke really deeply about a part of you, um, or once you had it out, you were like, oh, yes, this pearl is out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anyone that come to mind that's very memorable for you in that regard? There is this one where a character uh, is having a very difficult, difficult time, especially with their inner thoughts. And a rain cloud comes by and it's raining really hard. And this character feels this, this raindrop and realizes, gosh, this, this pain, the pain that this raindrop carries is so intense. Um, and actually that character and the rain cloud end up becoming friends and they are able to heal together through some bowls of hearty soup. And that one I created when I was having such a difficult time with my inner thoughts and inner narrative. It's very strict inner critic. So that one stands out the most to me. And I also love trying uh, to create new characters and new styles. And so that one I felt very happy about in terms of uh, the character that I created for that, which is this lovely, quite handsome character with a magical hat and this beautiful cloak and some cute boots, and they have one eye. Yeah, I I like that character very much, as well as their house. I like the house that they live in. It's very cozy. And that's definitely one thing that I noticed in your characters, was they aren't really gendered. They are these abstract beings. I'm just curious... Is there intentionality behind that as you're creating some of those characters for you? Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Stephen. I think it's it's my true consciousness probably speaking out in the form of art because I did not actually notice that until you told me. So I'm actually kind of glowing. <laughs> Processing, processing. Because <laughs> I was looking at your stuff on, you know, the ones from the New York Times and just stuff where you're posting. And I also have other friends who are illustrators, comics, and they're comic writers. And, you know, they immediately go to just human forms of characters, right? And I think you had one specifically around your um, uh, health that you had drawn a comic for, but I think that was more of a manifestation of yourself in a physical form. But a lot of the stuff like, and the one you're sharing right now too, I took a peek at that with the characters forming a friendship. And also your latest work too, I couldn't help but to notice how they were simply manifestations of a character rather than the physical manifestations 
that we oftentimes see within this physical world that we share, you know, as humans. Yeah. Yes. And I think I am starting to become more drawn to that. I'm actually working on this pitch mm-hmm. right now. It already made me cry twice, <laughs> writing and drawing it, because it's about my long distance relationship with my parents. And my parents, uh, apparently, they they get um, this wonderful ride from a fish deity. I don't know what that's about, but that's what they're doing. And uh, <laughs> um, I also, in this comic, turn into a bird. And I had no idea that that, uh, that kind of storytelling was within me. But more and more, I am drawn to spirituality as well as some of those uh, older narratives in in Japanese folklore. Yeah. And going back to what we had chatted about in the very beginning, sometimes the lessons that we need to hear are sometimes the most difficult ones to accept. And there might be a beautiful narrative of exploration, self-discovery, self-healing, as you tap into a lot of that ancestral teaching, ancestral being, existing. And yes. Beautiful. I, I can I can visualize it in my head right now. <laughs> With the they're oftentimes depicted in media and these like scrolls, right? Where it's like, yeah. yes, yes, it's like, yes. But it's just this beautiful, what I'm picturing in my mind. It's just what's coming up for me. It's just beautiful calligraphy, brush strokes, characters. And mm-hmm. Define, but almost a, a, a rough abstraction to it too where they teeter between this like physical world and the world of art and the world of (laughs) creation yeah i i won't i won't spoil your pitch but i'm just so i'm so curious no i was just so curious like where are they riding off to what do the animals mean yeah (laughs) yeah yeah well i I want to, uh, I can share a little bit where the Mm. parents, they stay in the ocean realm. So Mm. they always are, for instance, riding a fish in the ocean. Uh, They have what is called a shell phone. (laughs) So when we talk to each other, they're uh, talking via shell. And I actually, in the first panel, I'm, uh, flying on this bird. So I think there there's a lot of bird slash eagle uh, symbolism in the yeah. United States. And so I saw myself leaving mm, the water, which yeah. is Japan, the island, and going uh, into the sky or in this different realm. Yeah. And so as my parents uh, stay in the water, I then turn into that bird and I'm always uh, surrounded by air or bird imagery. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Did you watch recent recently Wakanda Forever? It came out. I have so I yet. I'm think so you should watch too. it because um, I, I'm not going to spoil it too much, but there is another civilization that is discovered underwater, and there is a very similar allegory in there as to what you're sharing. Yes. Ooh, so I'm not going to go. That I think that was like the. List. Like we're on the cliff. <laughs> I'm not gonna spoil. Yes, <laughs> stop, stop. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's beautiful, and I, I'm really excited to see it when it comes out. It's definitely resonating a lot with this narrative, especially as Asian immigrants or children of immigrants. That some people say we're often stuck in this third place. We're not home. We don't feel at home as Asians, Asian immigrants here in America. We're in this third world that's suspended in a way. Yes. Where we're tolerated rather than celebrated, accepted rather than pushed to success. And when it comes to I think the fascinating part I'm always curious about is the guests, yourself, and your queer identity, and what that self-discovery and what that self-journey has been like. How has it been for you to embrace that identity? It has been very freeing. Very freeing. And in a way, it was a slow unfolding. So I think there is the, uh, often there is the narrative in pop culture of coming out or having bottled up so much inside and then finally being able to release or coming out of the closet. But for me, it was a, a slow, slow unfurling. I think even in my very first job at an ad agency, my first creative director, he gave me this name. Instead of Haruka, he said, Harry. And initially I was like, oh, like that's kind of problematic. Um, like this, like, why can't you just say my name? But then... I was like, let me reclaim this. I kind of, like, Harry is, you know, it, it's so-so, but it it comes from Harold. And I was like, Harold is kind of sexy. I like Harold. And so there was that initial, like, you know, all, all like, my alarms going off, like, Harry, Harry, like, <laughs> this is weird. Uh, my Asian self is going nuts. But then, yeah, afterwards, I was like, you know, uh, Harry slash Harold as a name is kind of cool. And I think it was because it is often a male name uh, that I loved it so much. 
And that was kind of my first, wait a second moment. And that uh, more and more, especially as I, uh, as I followed my, my artistic path, it has become easier to unfurl and unfold because I am truer to myself every day. And another aha moment was when uh, I was gifted these wonderful books called uh, Frog and Toad. Uh, I think it's by Arnold Lobel, perhaps. And I was like, wait a second, this is like Harold, my, my Harold character. Um, by the way, I'm Toad. If you have read the books, I'm Toad. I'm a bit slower, um, not as uh, uh, easily <laughs> uh, loving and carefree as, as Frog. But I was so happy to see these two characters. It, they don't say uh, explicitly that they're gay or they're whatever gender. Uh, they wear uh, these wonderful, wonderful clothes. Um, I was like, wow, a frog and toad. Like, I want, I like them a lot. And I could see that kind of relationship parallel in my own relationship with my partner. And by the way, he is definitely frog. Uh, so I thought, wow, this is so wonderful. Um, I, I didn't know. Uh, that I would relate so much to these characters, these children's book characters. But I had been telling so many people, especially in my early 20s, that, gosh, I know for sure that I must have been this old gay guy in a previous life. Like, I 100% know it, because I'm, I'm immediately drawn to that. And so to then see the frog and toad characters in real life illustrated what kind of house they live in, what kind of things they do. I thought, oh, this is it. This is, this is me. And for me, I really appreciate the term queer, the reclaiming of it, the abstractness of it. Uh, I think it's quite a big and colorful umbrella that can hold many identities within it. So I really appreciate that. And I just absolutely love uh, deciding who I want to be when I wake up. The, the non-binary is just like, it just fills my soul. And so when I, uh, yesterday I ended up um, going more glam, like uh, <laughs> I was thinking like après ski glam and just created this image in my head and found things in my closet that would match that. And that was fabulous. And sometimes I want to uh, create more of that kind of frog and toad character. And I do have uh, some of my father's jackets tailored uh, for these moments. So I absolutely love to play dress up and creating an identity that way. 
Yeah. I think it's fascinating. Uh, one. <laughs> this, <laughs> I was on like a really chaotic side of Twitter and some people started like some illustrators did like book covers of what Frog and Toad should have actually been doing. <laughs> and they, they created this illustrative cover like oh. Frog and Toad get frisky. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, yes. oh my God, no, what's happening? <laughs> People on Twitter were just like, this is amazing. And I was laughing so hard. Like, <laughs> I, I'm going to check yeah. that out later. Frog I want to see finally, this secret side. Like, Frog is on top of Toad. Which one's a bigger one? Was it? No, Toad was a smaller one, right? Frog's a bigger one. I thought Toad was bigger. Well, there's like, one that's bigger. Frog is taller. Okay. Well, there's one that's like much taller, right? And then the one that's like much smaller. Okay. Yeah. Frog. And then. <laughs> The much smaller one was like on top of the bigger one, and they're just like going at it. Oh and I was like, oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but wow, you should definitely. I don't, I, I, I recall I saw it on Twitter like about a year ago, and I was like, yes, get it, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Uh, um, gosh, so I'll be yeah. getting that book, and I think it may have just been a cover, but it was, I forget. Um, I think it's funny that you talk about this frog as a character and how you really relate with it. Going back to your illustration, I go back to the fact that frogs are also amphibian, right? Where they are many different identities, but also they can live a life underwater. They can also live a life above yes. the water. They are not one wow. or the other. But they're suspended almost in these right, two worlds. Right. Came from the water. Stephen. <laughs> Born from the water. Oh, love this. I feel like I'm in English class, like in yeah. literature class in high school, just unpacking the text. Yeah, I was unpacking that. I was like, oh, maybe there's something there. Love it. Suspended in these worlds. And now you're. You've grown legs, arms. Yes. And the interesting thing, too, oh. about frogs is realizing the importance of just like where they come from. They also migrate into these like water pools of water to then birth and give <laughs> babies little bobas. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. yes. I think that's beautiful. And yeah, I also, yeah, I relate to in so many ways. And um, I think the interesting part, right, about intersectionality is also where does the Asian culture even layer in with all of this stuff? We have queer identity, we have the identity of being an American, we have identity of being Asian. Yes. And being Japanese. And I'm just curious, how has that experience been like with the intersectionality of being Japanese, being Asian, and being queer? Oh, gosh. Yes. It's, it's a mm -hmm. lot to carry. But when you first asked me this question, I immediately thought of this memory I have. When I first met 
an Asian American person. Um, and I, at the time, thought of myself as Japanese. I actually didn't know at all the history of Asian Americans or even the term Asian American. And I had thought, well, I had only uh, spoken to people who looked Japanese and could speak Japanese or perhaps from another Asian culture and was able to speak whatever language uh, that they were brought up with. And so when I first met uh, an American person who is Asian and they did not speak the language of the country they were originally from, I was like, what? What is this? Like, I didn't know that um, this would be the case. Like, there were people like this. And this was when I was a kid. Uh, everyone around me had spoken Japanese and looked Japanese. And so it's like, wow, gosh, like, I... I didn't know that these people existed um, in my small world. And now, understanding as a part of the Asian American community and as someone who is Japanese, someone who is queer, I realize, oh, okay, I do have a voice here that is quite unique and I can help even more people because of my intersectionality. And by identifying in these many ways, I can help people in each each culture, each identity, and hopefully make them feel less alone or feel more loved. Yeah. And I think I, I do want to note too that being Japanese is, is something I want to point out because it is a huge privilege, especially in the United States, uh, as well as in Japan. Uh, there is a big middle class there. It's mostly peaceful. Um, and being a Japanese person here, uh, we, you know, because Japan and the United States are such allies, uh, but also because of World War II, right? It's very, very complicated. But I know for sure, just even looking at my passport that is from Japan, I know that that has huge, huge power. And so I think it's a very complex thing to hold that privilege and also uh, be okay being vocal as part of the Asian American community um, and as part of the immigrant community. It's, I think it's just so, so important to actually talk about Japan's history and what they have done to other nations as well as the colonizer. It's a very violent and truly evil, like disgusting thing that that country's government had done and the military. And it's truly only just a generation or two ago that this happened. And 
I think we don't talk about that enough as part of the privilege and identity that we hold as Japanese people in the world. Why do you think we don't talk about it as much? I mean, it is so brutal, some of the things that the Japanese government and the military did. And it's, it's very scary um, to come to terms with that kind of behavior, that kind of cruelty. And to own up to that is, I think, very scary, I guess, for, for countries to do. Um, and truly, though, it, I, I, wish, I wish I could hold um, Japan, just to hug, hug all of Japan, because there is so much trauma there, uh, so much done uh, because people were forced to do certain things, people were forced to go into war, work in certain jobs that they don't want to. And so sometimes when I do go back to Japan, I, I see that violence, but it's kind of, uh, it's hidden. It's almost underground in the earth, or there's this very lovely, warm, sparkly blanket that just covers all the shit. (laughs) And I understand how it is so comfortable to to be able to have the fresh water, the delicious fruits, the beautiful mountains, the fast trains. Like, oh, let's focus on that. It's so great. And the the beautiful artwork, the hot springs, like, sure, that's wonderful. But yeah, I there is just even with my grandparents, uh, like we don't talk about those years type of thing. And of course I respect that because they actually lived through the trauma of war and survival. But I think the way to move forward is to not ignore, to push down. It's to lift those things up, share those feelings, talk about them with not just friends and family, but perhaps also people from other countries that are going through the same types of wars and sadness. Yeah, it's like the need to clean a wound, going deep into the wound so that it can heal. And yeah, it's it's also hard to have a reckoning with even like why there's a lot of colonialization mentality to in Japan and it goes back to the larger sphere of right 
all these countries at many points within our history were just scrambling so hard to fight and compete with one another. And also the diaspora of Americans, <laughs> the Eurocentric colonial mentality and all the things that it caused and also generations of colonialization to build that into what it is. Um, right. I think there right. are of deep wounding across generations, across countries, across the world that we just all have yet to even, I think we've written books about it, but even look at where America's going with politics. Some people are really struggling so hard with it to a point when they're banning books, outlawing education. Right. And question for you is, why is it so important to remember and understand our history to you? Well, it is part of our DNA, whether we like it or not. And so I think that urge uh, to continue to act in the way that we did is there, that will always be there and even when you're living with that with that history uh, you actually get to decide as you an individual to to change that path and so I think it's important to know where you came from what happened in your histories, what are the things that your grandparents did not tell you? And just collect the, that information really as data points and say, hmm, I could probably continue that trauma and living living with that, but uh, hmm, will that make my life a better? Will, will that make my life better? other people's lives better if I continue acting this way? And for me, the answer is no. And so I want to uh, use that history, the truths, the hurt, the healing, the realness of it all, hold, literally hold it in my hands and then form it into something else, form it, craft it into something that I think will be better for the world and then send it off uh, for people to read, to think about. And the analogy that came up in my mind around what you're saying was the question of, well, can you describe water to a fish? Right? Going back to animal or creatures. Um, and the funny thing, too, of beings that can go in between also water and air to experience these different worlds allows us to describe and put to words. Water is wet. Air is light. Gravity feels like this on land. Gravity feels like this in water. And to me... It, it seems like history is 
and what I gathering what you shared history is almost these like spaces that we inhabit and as we step out of it power is to reflect what that space was like so that we can share that experience with others without having to be in it right exactly and i am what you just said reminds me also of uh first left our our home and how that really helped me understand wow my home is just a very small part of the entire world and to actually step out of it again is such a privilege to be able to see a different perspective and i think that's why traveling is so important to be vulnerable and open to new experiences and to see your previous home from another perspective another lens is i think very important yeah beautiful i'd love to talk a little bit more about your latest work making a slight pivot um you had recently published a book um and i'm going to read a little bit of the summary that i was able to pull <laughs> that i think is super cute and i'd love for you to share a little bit more about it um, the summary goes in a world of circles square feels different in public square wears extra shapes to try to fit in but pretending to be a circle all the time is hard work Fitting in is a heartwarming, inclusive, and whimsical picture book about a square trying to fit into a world of circles. This book celebrates what makes everyone unique and special. When it comes to the book, so in your words, <clears throat> aside from the summary, what? How would you describe it? It is a book that that I think the, the world needs. Um, it's that feeling of oh, I don't, I don't belong, or I feel really different, and it's so uncomfortable. And yet to to hold that true emotion while remembering oh there's just so much diversity and everyone's trying to figure it out so many identities and actually every single one of them can be all right and i wrote this picture book i wrote and illustrated this picture book with my friend john olson who is a wonderful designer and art director former and he is very involved in lgbtq activism so i know that he wrote and illustrated from his experience growing up as a gay person and for me i definitely uh, thought about my experience as a japanese person coming into the united states and feeling so different and 
just being so surprised at all the cultural differences, feeling that pressure to fit in. And so I really want to, uh, yeah, we, John and I both really wanted to share that experience through this character square. Yeah. What inspired you to create these characters? We talked a little bit about these characters that you create are often not a humanoid. <laughs> and in this one, right, they take right. on or these shapes, square circles come to life. I'm just curious. What? What? <laughs> I find it so fascinating. I was like, oh my God, it makes total sense to me. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> is anything that inspired in creating these characters? Well, when we were thinking about our story, we knew that we wanted to create a story that was very similar to this uh, about acceptance, about loving yourself despite uh all the differences or comparisons that you might have. And I think we had also explored potentially a cactus uh, in, in this world of other plants and flowers and how this cactus felt very lonely and spiky and different. So that's just another example of a story we were thinking about but when it came to shapes, it was truly uh, one of the basic things that we learn as children. And we thought, oh, this might actually be even more accessible as a story if we played with shapes. And it may have even been one of those paper napkin drawings where we're talking and I'm just drawing a square and realizing that aha moment of wow a circle fits in, or a square fits into a circle and there are these four extra shapes that come out of that what if what if the square wore these extra shapes to pretend like they were a circle so that's how it came to be I love that I also like the potential opportunity to explore maybe a cactus because what I saw TikTok or trending on TikTok lately has been a lot of these, I don't know if you've seen it, but cactus plant owners who slice off a chunk of the cactus to put another cactus in. And so yes. they're creating these new shapes and new ways of, you know, cactus manifesting itself in the physical realm. But in terms of almost like, <laughs> it, it quite literally is like the square <laughs> that you're able to put on these parts. And it doesn't only become the clothing. It quite literally infuses into them as a being. I wow. think I was, I was like, at least that's what came up for me. I was like, wow, that's... that's a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it not only puts on these clothes, but it shapeshifts quite literally into what you mm -hmm. definitely gosh i i feel i'm feeling that so hard right now yeah flashback to when i was yeah. 14 wearing like three 
layers of polos, um, all with the collar popped up. <laughs> Literally changing my physical shape and outline. Yeah. What was what was behind in. that? Why why three polos? Oh well, <laughs> I ended up uh, going to boarding school. Mm. And it was a very preppy boarding school. Mm. And that was actually my way of staying in the United States when I was 13. I, uh, my, my parents were going back to Japan. Uh, well, the U.S. is great. I want to be here. How can I stay here? And one of the ways uh, is to go to boarding school. So I did. And I had, I was not prepared for the three layers of polos, um, but there was a certain look, a certain style, brands as well, uh, that seemed to define what the sporting school experience was about. And I didn't know anything about it, but since I am, I guess, a visual person, I thought, you know what, let me, let me try that out so I can maybe be more accepted. Hmm. And many layers to peel off, too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine how tough that would be especially going through school, going through transitions in your body, your life, your identity, and the only semblance oh of this gosh, yeah. familial anchor was going back and leaving. Right, right. It was uh, back in the day of telephone mm. cards where you would punch like a 1-800 number and a string of numbers after that. And I remember very, very early in the morning or late at night, I would call my parents from the dormitory phone. Uh, it was the landline back then. And calling that telephone card. When I heard that distinct ringtone, that means, oh, you're calling Japan. I felt immediate relief. Oh, I'm home. So two questions. Um, who is this book for and what do you hope to achieve? Going back to your book. Yeah. This book, created. Mm -hmm. this book is truly for for everyone. And I mean this by saying any identity, any age. I think we wrote this book with adults in mind as well. So it's not just for the kids, but the adults perhaps reading to the kids. And we want to make sure that people feel loved. I don't think there's enough of that message. Uh, there's so much messaging of should, should, you have to do this, or five steps to become a better human or whatever. But 
truly it's this book is about acceptance so loving yourself amen the second question was it what do i hope to achieve well we hope that it will well, it already has kind of grown its own legs so we kind of like the parents of this book we hope to see this book thrive and walk around the world being in many libraries and languages we hope that the book can make people feel better and more loved that's beautiful and is there anything that's inspiring you lately so much so much i've been uh, i've been opening myself to more experiences new experiences and i've been allowing myself to do more things because like we talked about that inner critic is such a such a big voice in my head and they can take away a lot from from my day to day so I've been going to interesting, uh, like, historical bars. I've been, uh, I will be going to an artist studio later today. And I also went to a musical. Um, it was two weeks ago. And allowing myself these new, new experiences, being, being a human, truly, and experiencing the world has been giving me so much joy and what is one lesson you want listeners to take away with i would say that even when you are doubting yourself the answer is always within you so look deeply and ask kindly to yourself when you are confused and take those deep breaths, look at those beautiful landscapes and do whatever you need to do to be calm. And then look inside and whatever you need will be there waiting for you because gosh, are they patient. They wait for us and love us so deeply. So, yes, you can trust yourself. Beautiful, beautiful. And for those who want to connect with you, find you, more of your work, how can they reach out? So on Instagram, I am the cosmic Haruka. And I also have a website. It's my name, harukaaoki.com. Beautiful, beautiful. And for those listening, definitely check out Haruka's website with lots and lots of, you're a very prolific person. <laughs> the work was just beautiful to go through, and I appreciate it. Just all these different facets of your identity that you vulnerably share, and I saw a lot of myself in it. Um, and so... 
from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for putting out your work, your story, who you are to the outside world and really appreciate this conversation from today. And so with that, uh, yeah, any, any last notes, anything that you want to leave with before we close? Well, thank you, Stephen, as well. Like, thank you for creating this space for us to talk and share. Um, it literally is creating um, a space for healing for thousands of people. So thank you. Thank you. I embrace that. And for listeners, hope the stories resonated. And yes, seconding wherever you are, you have something special deep within. Embrace it and find that pearl in that mind. <laughs> and so with that... Thank you, Haruka, and for everyone listening, hope your day can be a little bit more mindful. <laughs> Bye now.